This is episode 123 of Relate on making Broadway accessible with Tony Award-winning producers Bonnie Comley and Stuart F. Lane. We are spending more and more time in the online world, looking through our screens and increasingly disconnected with those around us. But studies have proven that it's real-life meaningful relationships that bring us the most joy and happiness. It's all about human connection and conversing with people from a variety of backgrounds. Worlds change when eyes meet. So let's sit down and relate. I am your host, Patrick McAndrew, and welcome to yet another episode of Relate. We have a very special episode for you today. We have two multiple Tony Award-winning producers joining us on the show. This is a really great episode and a really great inside look into the world of Broadway and how Broadway works from a producing perspective. This is a really great episode. We have Bonnie Comley and Stuart F. Lane joining us on the show. They're two legendary producers in Broadway. Stuart has won six Tony Awards. Bonnie has won three Tony Awards. And in addition to those accolades, they've also have won a whole variety of other awards as well. Bonnie has won an Olivier Award, two Drama Desk Awards. She's a full member of the Broadway League and the Audience Engagement and Education Committee. She has produced over 40 films, winning four Telly Awards and one W3 Award. And then Stewart is the recipient of four Drama Desk Awards, a Drama Critics Circle Award, an Outer Circle Critics Award, and a Drama Lounge Award. And in addition to all of that, they have also produced many other Broadway shows. And on top of all of that, they are the founders of Broadway HD, which is this amazing platform in which you could stream Broadway shows. Stuart has also worked as a director as well as an actor in the past, and they have theaters named after them. The list goes on and on with these two, and I really enjoyed my conversation with them both. They're both such kind and humble people and are really paving the way for what Broadway is going to evolve into, especially after the COVID pandemic. And in this episode of Relate, we cover a wide variety of different topics. We talk about digitally capturing in the theater industry and how they are doing this through their company, Broadway HD. And not only that, but we discuss how Broadway HD is making Broadway and theater overall more accessible to more people. Broadway has always been an art form that has evolved over time. And both Bonnie and Stuart are leading the charge in the technological revolution of making theater a platform that we can view not just live, but also from our screens. We discuss different type of producers, the role that producers have in collaborating together for financial and artistic success, how to find a great script, and also the fact that there is room for everybody in the entertainment industry. I feel like sometimes as artists, we are hesitant to go into this field because there's a lot of competition, there's not a lot of security in it. But Bonnie and Stuart really hit home that there is room in this industry. There is room for artists to really grow and collaborate with one another. We talk about the future of Broadway and their experience as members of the Broadway League. And we talk about the brand of Broadway as well. This is not a conversation that happens enough with regards to how strong the brand of Broadway really is. We also discuss the importance of having a purposeful life and what it means to pursue a purposeful life for you as an individual. So this is a really great episode. Like I said before, I really had a great time chatting with both Bonnie and Stuart. I was so happy that they were generous with their time and able to chat with me on the show. If you like this episode or you know someone who you think it might resonate with, 
someone who's maybe interested in hopping into the entertainment industry, or perhaps they're just interested in learning more about how Broadway works, send them this episode. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave me a review, let me know your thoughts. If you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave me a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. So, with all of that said, let me please introduce Tony-winning producers, Bonnie Comley and Stuart F. Lane. I'm, I'm very excited to talk with you both because this podcast, it's really about the importance of meaningful relationships and connection. And I feel like especially we in the entertainment industry have a very unique perspective on this, a really unique perspective on how we can better relate to our fellow human beings through storytelling, through empathy. And just given your years and wealth of experience between you both, I'm, I'm just really excited to have you on the show. Well, thank oh, we're you. excited to be here. <laughs> so I'm wondering if you could just start off by sharing with our listeners, maybe just a little bit about yourselves and what led you onto the path of becoming Broadway producers? Well, uh, I'm, I'm the one who fell in love with the theater at an early age. So like after seeing my first Broadway show, and you'll get the abridged version, the, uh, <laughs> when we, over dinner and some wine, we can have the longer version. But I agree. You know, by the time I was like, you know, 11 years old, I'd seen my first Broadway show uh, and uh, I was smitten. I mean, this was it. Storytelling, the lifestyle, uh, the whole idea of, of, of interaction with people and making them laugh. And it was just, so I, I was set on my course. So everything uh, since then was, you know, the, the junior, the, the high school uh, drama club, the theater classes, the speech classes, taking acting classes locally. Uh, I went off to college and got a BFA in theater uh, from Boston University. And then actually, you talk about being, being communicative and, 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 and knowing the business. Starting off as an actor, I got to work, you know, work the lights, work, build the sets, sell the publicity, as well as, you know, be the spear carrier in the shows to get my equity card. Uh, it gave me a lot of experience behind, you know, backstage as well as on stage. And then later, uh, when I actually got, had the advantage of buying into the theater, back in the 70s, the economy was terrible. New York was down the tubes, theater was dying, uh, and there was an opportunity to become a partner in the Palace Theater, so I jumped at that more for a love of theater than realizing what a great real estate movie was. <laughs> you know, so it, 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 lucky is good. Good to be lucky. Uh, so I've been, so, so it helped me establish uh, not only the understanding of the business, but as we started producing shows, I got to work with the different unions. So they, you know, the 17 unions and guilds you have to deal with, I've been dealing with for 40 years. Wow. So when the concept came to start recording and digitally uh, saving these, this material, they knew me. They, I think they trusted me. In fact, I know uh, in many cases they, I was allowed to uh, have a certain advantage because they knew I was reliable. And uh, that's been a big, big boost for Broadway HD. So that, oh, that's my gosh. I know, really. I, well, I was, I was going to bring up the – I know you, both of you started this uh, a few years ago. But now with, with COVID and everything, it's, it's super timely and, and super important as well. I, I would love to, I, maybe perhaps after hearing uh, Bonnie's experience with getting into producing, what, what led to the creation of Broadway HD? And then I guess, what does it mean now, especially since Broadway shut down and, and really in the foreseeable future, we're not sure quite what's going to happen. Yeah, well, my I always let Stu speak first because my my background isn't as exciting. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> it's like, exciting. I I never saw a Broadway show. You know, was one of four children, so we never went to the theater. So I didn't actually go to the theater until I was an adult. Moved to New York and was a reporter doing entertainment news. That I actually went to see a Broadway show and. Um, you know, just love the idea of from then bringing cameras into the theater. Um, so it was always, uh, you know, something that 
that we were looking for how do you marry the live stage piece with a TV piece. And about five years ago, um, you know, we had done several of what they call digital captures or live captures, which is bringing cameras in to a theater and shooting what's on the stage. So it's different than a, an adaptation where you take a stage play and then maybe, you know, or full out make a movie out of a stage show. Um, this is you're going in, the audience is there, they're doing it in real time, meaning if it's a three hour or two hour show, you're shooting it in two hours. You might, uh, you know, do it twice to, you know, to have a backup and then you might do what, the, what we call pickup shots of, you know, bring the cameras in, maybe when the audience isn't there again to do some uh, close-up shots. But, but basically, um, but basically it's in real time. So it's, um, you know, that is the term that we use as digital capture within the industry. And we had been involved in those for many years just one-offs which was a show that we were producing for the stage we had the opportunity to go in with cameras and videotape it um, and we had done probably about 10 of those uh, up until about five or six years ago and they were always critically acclaimed people loved them um, but the distribution for them was very limited because the shows that were on Broadway were much more much more niche um, and so, you know, about five or six, actually it's now like seven years ago, um, that we sort of looked at each other, we'd done about 10, you know, and, uh, and said, you know, where's the business here? Because it's just such a very, uh, you know, a very niche, um, and, but the distribution outlets opened up and we said, you know, I think the, the, the future here is in streaming. And so we started to uh, build a technology uh, stack, as they call it, um, to load up our content in. We started to aggregate content, went out because we weren't the only ones that were doing digital captures, but they were kind of spotty all over the place. Um, so we pulled them all in and we said, you know, when we have a hundred, we'll, that will be the, the base that the, we'll build off of. And five years ago, we had a hundred uh, full length shows. So we launched Broadway HD five years ago, and we've added over 200. So now we're up over wow. 300, you know, full length stage plays and musicals. Um, that and we're a subscription based service. So it's, um, you know, anytime you're connected to the internet, you can stream. Um, and uh, so it's just, you know, we just keep building from there, but it was to provide access. And for Broadway HD, what access means, it's access for audiences to be able to see shows. So we brought down the, the barriers of geography. You don't have to be in New York City. You don't have to go to the theater. We'll bring the show to you. We brought down the uh, barrier of economics. So if you can't afford or you couldn't afford what was a, you know, a, a, an average $125 ticket for a Broadway musical, you know, Broadway HD is providing you know, 300 shows uh, for $100 a year for our annual that's and then amazing. Any, yeah, and then any sort of physical limitations, like the hearing impaired, we have closed captioned. If you are, you know, have any sort of physical limitations that you can't drive at night or you can't get to New York City or you're having a hard time navigating through the line to get into the theater, we bring the show to you. But the other place where Broadway HD gives access um, is to whose theater whose shows get to be seen. And I think, you know, with Broadway shut down right now, we're seeing that. We're seeing, you know, that is as inclusive as Broadway um, tried to be, uh, now that we have a chance to really take a look at it, saying, you know what, we really weren't as, you know, diverse and inclusive as uh, we should have been or could have been. Um, and I think that with digital captures, Women don't get to be directors very often. Women aren't in the position of being composers on Broadway. Um, you know, women aren't playwrights, you know, and the, you know, the numbers for the, uh, you know, people of color, um, you know, the BIPOC is even worse than it is for just, you know, just gender. So that, you know, when you have a capture of those shows, the whole world can see them. And that's the other kind of access that we provide is for the audiences to have a chance to see stuff and for you know whose shows whose work gets to be seen yeah i think the the critical change for us uh was as we had a learning curve when we started first shooting was uh, where as money had said where's the business uh it wasn't in the pay-per-view on cable there wasn't enough there it wasn't in the vcr or dvd market that started to peter out it wasn't until you know the technology and the buffering and the internet came alive 
that we felt there was enough of a critical mass audience that, that which is very small anyway, talking about niche, uh, of theater lovers that would say, yes, with this kind of access on a global scale, we can make a business out of this. And, uh, you know, we weren't embraced by the industry initially because they've seen other people try and fail at it. They didn't see it. But now, now they're actually offering us lots of material and opportunities. So oh, it's that's been, great. It is great. It's been a process and uh, we've won them over, uh, certainly in, in, in certain of the uh, regional theaters and in the subscription houses. Uh, they love us because they have limited run shows anyway. And so they're happy to preserve that and generate more money, monetize it beyond the existence of the live show to begin with. So it's been an amazing experience for us. Uh, not to mention a great staff that we have. We have a great team uh, that we've been able to seamlessly work from home and maintain uh, the, uh, with Broadway HD on a top level. Uh, that's amazing. Well, and I think what's really great about it too is, is to, to go off of what both of you are saying is that it's very accessible. And I know I was reading some of the, the press that you had sent me, Bonnie, that a lot of people were in the industry were very hesitant at first because they're saying, oh, theater is supposed to be experienced live. And I guess there's some truth to that. Of course, seeing it on the screen is going to be different than seeing a live performance. But this is, in a lot of ways, the next best thing. And especially given the situation we're in right now, I can't think of a, a better possibility than to, to be able to stream all of these Broadway shows. I think that what you've created is something that is monumental in a lot of ways. I think that a lot of theaters are going to want to go into this direction, especially after this whole pandemic. Yeah, I mean, and you know, it's the the fear um, of, of from the for the producers of the live stage show. It's called cannibalization of the live ticket sales. And basically what that means is the producers that have risked their money to put up a stage show are fearful that if you could see a digital version at home on your you know big screen TV or your phone, would you pay that hundred bucks to go and see it in the theater? Um, and I think that you know there's no definitive proof that that's true or not. You know we have anecdotal evidence because there isn't always the shows that are available then, um, and every single show is different. So you really can't compare like, well, it worked for Legally Blonde, and well, oh, it seems to going to be working for Hamilton. But you know you can't just blanketly paint every single show with that brush. And I think that the fear of cannibalization really comes from it's not people are afraid to shoot the show. Because I think if you talk to any producer, they've spent so much money, they've risked so much, they've you know put so much time and resources into these shows that they would love to have it preserved in these you know beautiful multi-camera captures. But they are afraid of it going on the same time. So it's not a fear of it being captured and being filmed or videotaped. It's a fear of it being available at a cheaper price at the same time that they've got a box office that they're trying to sell tickets out of for the live show. So, and, and you know what, when you look at a, a musical that's capitalized at $15 million, they should be protective of their investors and right, of, their, right. of, their, of their show, you know? So this, we are totally agree, and Stu and I both being members of the Broadway League and being in that and producing live stuff, we understand exactly what that means. So we have for our many years of doing this always brought that into the conversation of the producers of the show, everybody needs to be comfortable. Um, and as Stu said, you know, we've been doing this. I mean, the first one that we were involved with was um, Stu actually did the Will Rogers Follies back in like 1992. Way back. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, it, you know, and so they've been spotty over the course of the 30 years here, um, you know, but always trying to have that um, conversation with producers to say, you know what, you need to be comfortable with this. Um, and some shows we waited because we wish we had the the money, the capital is, you know, to, to go out and shoot every single Broadway show and then say, okay, we'll just hold it in a vault. And then when you're ready or you're comfortable or your show's already done with the Broadway show and the tour, then then we'll take it out of mothballs. But we have a business that we're constantly trying to put content up for our subscribers to say, here's a great new show. Here's a great new show that you, you really should see. And so, you know, what we did was for our past five years is we focused on 
the limited runs and celebrity driven shows, which are usually limited runs. So, or as Stu said before, some of the nonprofits that, uh, you know, the big nonprofit theaters that they have a theater on Broadway and it, a show runs for a year. And then they built, you know, they, it was built to run only for a year and then they take it down and then they put up another one. So they don't have to worry about the digital version competing with their live version because their live version is gone. And the same right. with the celebrities is that, you know, the celebrities go and they don't want to be an open-ended run for five years. You know, even Lin-Manuel Miranda, he wrote the show, he developed the show, he was with it from the beginning, but he did like a year on Broadway and I was like, okay, thank you. Let's <laughs> in here. Yeah, that's yeah. A lot of work. You know, it so the, the celebrities, quite often those shows that have celebrities are built to end. And so a lot of times that's within three or four months, sometimes six months, sometimes they'll extend a little bit, but those ones, and then that celebrity, that you know, star power person, it's usually a movie star or TV star, they're not gonna tour. So you would have missed that person's performance on Broadway. You know, the, 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 you know, the Springsteens and the such on Broadway, you know, there's no other way that you get to see it unless it's captured and then you get it, you know, and it, it, as you said, it's not the same thing as going there. And um, you know, that's just one of the things that always bugs us when you're talking about something because we don't say that for other things. You know, music- So yeah. that's very true, yeah. yeah. You know, music, we are, we accept the fact that, you know, a, 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 a musical instrument, whether it be someone's voice that's coming out of their body or it's a piano or a guitar or some sort of wind <laughs> instrument, if it's recorded, it's not the same thing as being there in the room with somebody, even if they're just singing a cappella. that's the instrument. You're not in the room with them if it's recorded, but nobody says, well, it's not as good as the, you know. That's so true. Of course it's not. <laughs> like, of course it's not. So when people say, well, it's not as good as being there, you say, yeah, but you know how many people around the world will never, ever set foot in a Broadway theater? This is for them. If you have the, you know, the wherewithal, if you had the resources, the time and the ability to go get to see the show, that's what we're, we are all in favor of that. Go and see that show. Absolutely, there is no comparison. But if you can't get there, then how about, you know, Broadway HD? And I think that, you know, we built this business, as I said, we started like seven years ago to start to build the technology that was supporting this, this content. Um, and then in March, the whole world, as we know it, ended. And now everyone, everyone in the world understands what it's like to not be able to go to a live event, to not be able to go to Broadway. And I think that they're now realizing that by watching the digital version of a Broadway show only increases people's appetite to go and see the live show because that's on our social media, that's from our customer service, that is everywhere. The people are saying, this was amazing. I can't wait to get back to the theater. They're not saying, oh, this is great. I'm never going to the theater again. <laughs> right. yeah. uh, Broadway's an evolving art form. It always has been. Uh, and it, it's, it's affected. It's affected by the people who are creating the art as well as the audiences that come to see it. And there was a major transition going on in the audiences, even as Broadway discovered it. You know, nobody knew that there was a real demand for family entertainment until Disney stepped in. And instead of having one musical like Oliver a decade, or Annie a decade, you had multiple family shows coming in uh, on a single season. Uh, Wicked discovered the tweeners. No one on Broadway knew that audience even existed. And yet it was a, it's a huge hit. And so uh, when Broadway HD was introduced, it was to a younger audience. Our, our subscribers at Broadway HD are basically 18 and up. You know, on Broadway, it's like 45 and up. And it's been that way for the last 30, 40, 50 years. And even the, the audiences, because they got younger. Back in the golden age, let's say, of, of Broadway, who was your audience? Uh, young marrieds, young people with children. And most of the plays and musicals reflected that. Well, we've evolved now. We're trying to reflect what's going on with young audiences today. And that includes watching their entertainment on iPads and cell phones and their desktops and, and appealing to what they are interested in. And that's sort of what Bonnie and I are dealing with, uh, trying to introduce the, the new audience to Broadway so that it's affordable and accessible. Well, and I think that really speaks a lot to your careers as producers as well, and really trying to trying to find new and innovative ways to produce. And, and something that I, I personally really 
respect about both of you and, and producers in general is that producers, you, you have this business acumen balanced with this artistic lens that I feel like is, is so crucial when you're producing. I mean, I don't need to tell you both of that. And I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners, just g given what you've created with Broadway HD and then also your career as producing on Broadway, what do you, both of you believe makes a successful producer? You know, again, it's sort of like what, like if you gave me a, a certain show, I might not be, a, I wouldn't have driven it. You know, if you, if I, if somebody just threw Hamilton at me, I might not have done what, uh, you know, Jeffrey Sellers has done. You know what I mean? So I think it has to be the right fit of the right, you know, the person finding the show or the show finding the person that's the right fit. Um, because I think there are certain, certain people that could have done a better job with other shows, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, so I think that it, it's, it, and, and it's also timing. Um, it, it, there's so many things that come into it. I think that, you know, the creative part is, 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 a, is an element, um, but it's also the team because there's, if you look, you know, above the title, there's no show that has one producer on it. <laughs> you know, they've got like 50 producers. And I say that with a kind of a laugh in my voice. And I don't mean to because every single one of those 50 names that you see above the title are needed and required and respected in the business. Um, but so there's, there's two different groups of producers. There are, or I should say now there's three different groups of producers. There are the uh, co-producers, which is the, the majority of the people when you see a credit above the title. Um, those are usually the co-producers and the producers are the ones that are um, the ones that are financially responsible for a show um, and there's usually three or four um, and what that means is if, uh, if I'm the lead producer on a show, the show, I found a show, I've secured you know, the, the script to it or whatever, the, the, the intellectual property, that what the show is going to be. Um, and then I get a few other or, or two of us together or three of us together have decided we're going to commit to this show and we're going to try and bring it to Broadway or off Broadway. Um, but the co-producers come into the space because we as lead producers commit to the budget that was made. We get a budget done and it says this musical is going to cost us $15 million to get it to Broadway. And we commit to that. And we commit to what a running budget is of a $15 million musical is going to cost half a million dollars a week in order to run every single week between the rent, the marketing, paying all the cast and all the creatives. So there's certain, you know, built in uh, on Broadway, especially there's unions that have, very uh, carefully negotiated, very thoughtfully negotiated what certain rates are. So there is no, uh, there's no, there's no negotiating those rates. These are what the rates are. So there's very uh, defined fixed costs in that. And then the, you know, so the, the lead producers are responsible for that budget. So that we've said 15 million and a half a million dollars a week to run that show. Then we have to get rates. Million. So if we're not going to willing to risk our own $15 million, we have to find co-producers to come in and help us to raise that money. And, and then will we negotiate with them what that their money is going to bring in. But usually the co-producers will commit to, for a musical, say they're going to, we're going to get 15 of them and they're going to commit a million dollars. Um, and so with that million dollars, they're gonna get their name above the title. They're eligible for a Tony with their name above the title. Um, they're gonna come to a certain amount of, um, or maybe all of the uh, marketing meetings and the, you know, the cast, uh, you know, meet and greet at the beginning. You know, so there's sort of things that are built in of like what that's gonna be. But where it really stops is where the, you know, the money stops is if we're in rehearsal, we're there and we find out uh oh, <laughs> this musical isn't actually going to cost 15 million. It's going to cost 20 million. Oh, so no. co-producers, or even if it's going to cost 16 million, whatever that overage is, that's the falls back to the lead producers. So the, the co-producer that said, I'll commit a million dollars is only liable for the million dollars. Whereas the lead producers are going to be responsible for any sort of overages 
um, that happen. And, um, you know, that's where the, 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 that's where the, so you have these, you know, core people and the, the lead producers are the ones that are really doing more of the, um, and it, 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 it it, it depends on who your team is on the creative team, how much creativity that you get. Uh, but lead producers usually have worked with or are familiar with the creative team that they're hiring. And the creative team, I'm talking about the, you know, the, the lyricist, the composer, the director. And you're not always going to be having conversations all the time with them. Um, so I like to make the analogy that a Broadway show is like a, a cruise ship and we're kind of both in the same <laughs> we're all in the same boat and we're like where the industries are right now but the 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 big cruise ship is actually owned by the producers so they get to hire the people that are on that ship but once the show starts rehearsing and moves away from the you know and moves away from the shore in the ship uh, analogy the producers are back on the shore and it's very hard. So that director has got his crew that, which is his cast and crew and his create his or her, I should say their uh, creatives that they're dealing with on a more of a, you know, minute by minute and day by day basis. And the producers are standing back. So your creative part quite often is not as creative um, once the show starts being rehearsed and is heading towards the stage and the creative part is in an economic creative part of like, this show is three hours long, <laughs> we need half an hour, you know, it, which it doesn't sound very creative. It just sounds like a business thing. And, and, it, and, and sometimes that's how it happens. So the creativity yeah. always sounds like, oh, like you're in there, you know, sitting beside a composer and like coming up with a new lyric. <laughs> It's not quite that creative, but I do think that, you know, business deals can be, um, you know, extremely creative too. And that's my take because I actually have business degrees, but Stu is um, a BFA all the way. So he has a very different opinion, I'm sure. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Except uh, I, I, do, I wouldn't use cruise ships as an analogy these days. Uh, yeah. but, uh, but I think the, uh, the bottom line is that you try, even as a commercial producer, or as uh, Jerry Schoenfeld used to say, the difference between commercial producing and nonprofit uh, is, is pejorative because it sounds like commercial is evil and money grabbing. But the fact is, when you're producing a show, and I mean you're the lead producer, you're looking for a product that's going to be both artistically exciting and financially successful. That's the ideal. That's the com composition that you're looking for. And, and along the way, you, you pick up you know, side items. For instance, it's not just a great script that will make a show but it's the chemistry between the actors that you cast. It's the choreographer who relates to the material. And that's what's what, one of the things I fell in love with the theater about was being able to collaborate with all these people, working with each other, developing an artistic form and telling that story. So I think that's ultimately what it's going to be, get a financial success and an artistic success. And, and Hamilton's sort of like a com, uh, an example of something like that, where it really came together to form something really special in the theater world. Yeah. Well, and I think what's what's very inspiring about it is that there's so many parts that are coming into play when when producing and putting up a Broadway show. And so I'm curious as producers, what is it about a show, as you were saying, Stuart, that is when there's something artistically there that, that draws your attention, what is it about your, a show that draws both of you in specifically? Well, <laughs> Initially, I'm looking for something that I, I'll read the script first and uh, find out whether I think there's, there's a, the, you know, it's, it's engaging, uh, the characters are empathetic, uh, you know, is there a good story here? Uh, really, that's the first step. Then the second step for me is to uh, find out what's the finances. Does it make economic sense? How many in the cast? How much is it going to cost to get how many musicians? That sort of thing. Uh, at that point, I can take it to the next level, start getting a director on board and start putting a team together. But that's mostly what I look for, a story that's, that's, that's engaging and that's good. Uh, even, even, you know, uh, the shows I've produced over the past, uh, since I started pr producing, uh, I, you know, I started off with a show called Whose Life Is It Anyway, which was the story of an artist who becomes a, a quadriplegic and wants the right to pull the plug on himself because he can't express his art anymore. And so I went, you know, which, which we won Best Actor for Tom Conti that year. And uh -huh. uh, yeah, we lost to The Elephant Man. Also, uh, <laughs> yeah, 
So, so you're looking for something that's exciting, engaged. Lacage en Folle, when I produced Lacage, I was so excited because not only were we creating a great story and terrific music, we're making a social statement to make a change in society, but you had another dimension to what we were doing. So, uh, so that's what I look for in a script. So you don't have to make it financially feasible and an engaging story. Right? I, I, I go from a very different uh, place <laughs> looking at shows um, because Stu and I do pretty, we do pretty much everything together. So it's, a, you know, the, the team side of, you know, well, that's what he looks at. And I look at things very differently. But let me say first that as, you know, producers that we've done so many shows on Broadway, 99% of the shows or the scripts that get in front of us are already vetted, meaning they've been read by a numerous other people and they're coming to us from somebody else who's in the industry. So it's, it's, it's there. There's like, you know, there's, it has merit. Um, but once I get those, then what I'm looking at is, you know, is it timely and who's associated with it and how expensive is it going to be? And would I be able to raise? Is this a $15 million musical or to do this right? Is this a $50 million musical? You know, um, you know, so you sort of look at that and then say, how much do I, you know, because I can be a co-producer and really help somebody else out or I can try and take something on myself. So I look at it more of the, you know, the, the financial economic side of it, um, and then give stuff to Stu to sort of look at the script. And then if he likes it, and then I say, you know what, I think we could do this, then we, you know, then we'll make a run at it. Um, but we do come in sort of looking at, at things at a, at a very different, um, at a very different way. Like a silly story that we have about something like that is that somebody, had asked us to work on a play uh, by a playwright that that hadn't been on Broadway in a while, and I was very excited by it because, again, it's a name person. You know, they haven't been. You know, the the, the public should have an appetite for it. You know, so oh, okay. So I'm all ready to say like, oh my God, I'm 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 in. You know, I'm like I'm just in based on that, of who it's coming from, who it is, and where it's going, and what you know the other things around it. So, you know, Stu got the script first, and we got it like on a Friday, and you know, so Saturday I said, you know, how's it going? And he said, no, I don't, I don't if I really like this or not, I'm not sure. <laughs> and then by Sunday, you know, I don't know. And then I said, you know, like Monday morning, oh, oh do you like this? Are we in on this or not? And he said, it's either brilliant and I don't get it, or it's like the worst piece of crap I've ever <laughs> in a very long time. So I said, and he's like, oh, they want to read it? I said, no, thank you. <laughs> we'll just step back from this. And as it turned out, it, it, like it was kind of the second. You know? <laughs> yeah. It didn't last very long. You know, so what something I would have jumped on, like, I mean, I, maybe I would have read the script and said, maybe it, maybe it's just I don't get it, but everybody else is going to get it. And this, but she was like, mm, you know, like that, like, like making a face like a, like a bad smell. Like, oh, you know. Yeah, this was a major playwright, too. This wasn't someone that you would just. All right, they're going to guess, so stop. I don't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think this really, really speaks to both of you working together as a team that you balance each other out very nicely. And, and I imagine that's been a big reason why. Well, it's probably a big reason why you have both seen so much success in the, in the various, like, I, I could just list the awards that you have both won collectively and the, the episode would be over. <laughs> so I, I think that, uh, and probably both with you working together, you've seen that a lot just in the producing world in general, that it's so important to have a team that's well-balanced and very collaborative, works works nicely together. And so with that said, I, I would love to hear uh, both of your opinions on what do you find, what, what are the biggest joys that you have found with producing? And then on the flip side of that, what, what are some of the biggest challenges? Well, I think to just, if I could to go back on something you said about, you know, the accolades, the awards, I mean, those are awesome. And uh, Stu and I do, you know, master classes and we've taught classes and, you know, for people that are coming up in the industry, we're always, you know, looking to, you know, put a hand back and say, you know, come, there's room for everybody in this business. Um, and then that's how we get introduced. We get introduced with, oh, you know, Stuart F. Lane, six-time Tony Award winner, you know, Bonnie Conley, three-time Tony Award, you know, and, and that's awesome. That that makes me smile and I'm so proud of that. But the, the, 
the whole career is really it's it's your body of work and to your point that if you were to list all the things that did not work would be you know so if you list the things that did work would take up your whole show if you list the things that didn't work <laughs> money would be here for a week you know because a lot of it is it's it's making mistakes and learning from them and you know, and, and staying <laughs> in business and staying in business. <laughs> you, know, I mean, I, you know, nobody wants to like, Oh, go embrace the failure kind of thing. Um, but, but it's, it's all part of who you are. And, and sometimes the things that, you know, you really thought were for you are not for you. Um, and you, you know, <laughs> you had to say goodbye to it. Um, and then, and then, and find something else. And sometimes the something else really puts you on the path to where you're supposed to be. And I think that, you know, that's so, true of people working in this industry because you're as good as your last show sometimes is what you feel um and there's no uh especially coming out of you know you know your training your you know your your base training of college or your conservatory that you come out of or um you know whatever sort of you know cti for the broadway league you know program that you come out of there's no clear path it's not like a lawyer that you you know you go to law school and then you pass the bar and then you do you know there's a there's a ladder of success that you know you can just keep climbing and you know when you're on that rung and what the next one looks like and i think for you know a career in um in entertainment there's no path like that you're just sort of standing at the edge of a forest and we all stand there and we all take a different path and some of us come out the other end and some of us go back to where we started and say no it's not for me um so i think you know i just feel like one there's room for everybody two you know yes it's great to have all the awards but it's also it's also the body of work and um you know so i think that and, and those are the challenges the challenges are um built in and the challenges are your own personal challenges. Um, the things that you, the, the bar that you set for yourself, the goals that you set for yourself, um, are those the right goals that you should be setting? Or is that, you know, is that the right goal for you? Um, you know, so there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of choices in the business, um, but it's also, uh, even with us working together, it can be very lonely because, <laughs> Because you make mistakes and, you know, you got to find the right, the right, <laughs> the oh, no. right show oh, and the next thing. Oh. <laughs> Whatever. So, so anyway, I don't know if you want to repeat the question for Stu to go because I went on for so, forever on that. So, Stu. So I forgot the question. <laughs> I, so, so I guess uh, just with being a producer, what, what do you feel are the biggest joys and then some of the biggest challenges? having come from the uh, acting and performing side, I think one of the biggest challenges early on was being uh, front of house instead of backstage, uh, you know, and then so uh, there was the, the, the balancing, I think you mentioned it earlier, being able to balance artistic capability and the financial side of it. Financial side, that's, that's, a, that's a producer. One of the uh, reasons I became a producer was that I could at least, I could at least bolster the illusion of having some control over my life. Uh, as, as an actor, you're at the mercy of the audition and the, everyone else. But as a producer, I said, you know, the buck stops here. I'll make the decisions. And if it works, I'll take the credit. If it doesn't, it was my fault. But I want to at least be able to say I tried my best. And I have to be an older man saying, if it wasn't for that director, I'd be on Broadway today. You know? <laughs> so, I right, right. You know, so, so at least becoming a producer like that gives, gives me great joy and certainly creating shows that I've done over the years, whether it's fun like Thoroughly Modern Millie or Lacanjo Foal or A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. And these, these are fun, clever, and smart musicals. I've been very pleased with them. Uh, and even the plays we've been involved with, like the Whose Life Is It Anyway, uh, has, been, has been a great a great joy to be able to tell those kinds of stories. Uh, you know, and, and, and sometimes we did the 39 Steps, which I thought was the most fun show I'd worked on in a long time. Great cast, great satire, good Hitchcock takeoff. I don't know if you ever had a chance to see it. I, I, I haven't seen it, but I've heard very good things about it. Yeah, yes. So that's fun when you get that combination of artistic and financial success uh, and a project you're proud of. That's, that's the best. Yeah, well, and I think it speaks to what Bonnie was saying too about that it's your collection of work, your body of work that, that has been your career. And 
it, it's so inspiring for myself to see both of you take so much pride in, in, in the work that you've worked on and, and also the impact that it's had on the audience who's, who went and, and saw those shows. And so with that said, I'm wondering if either of you have, I, I'm sure you have plenty, but if you have maybe one story that comes up the top of your head that was really this, this amazing story that almost like defined your career in, in a certain way. Well, the most important show I did and which really put me on the map, you know, as, as back in the early 80s, as, as we were emerging from this, this uh, trough of Broadway. I mean, Broadway was, was dead. The theater is dead. They used to sing songs. Simon and Garfunkel used it as a lyric in their song. Oh, wow. Is the theater really wow. dead? Uh, the, the business had moved out and uh, it, it moved out to California. So Johnny Carson, the late night host, he'd moved out to California. Broadway was mostly empty. The actors, Tom Bosley, who'd won a Tony in the early 60s, went out to Hollywood to do uh, Happy Days. You know, so the city was was dying. In the early 80s, that started to change. And uh, part of that transition was, uh, I say, in the year 1981, when uh, we actually produced three major hits. One was Sophisticated Ladies. One was Woman of the Year with Lauren Bacall. That was my show. And, uh, and, and 42nd Street. Three solid American musicals that really re started to reestablish America as, as a foremost in, in Broadway. Then, then, of course, we fell into the Andrew Lloyd Webber phase when we had Cats and Phantom. And I kind of slipped Lacanjo Fole in there. <laughs> and that's, and, that's, and, and, and uh, although Woman of the Year was my first nomination, my first win with Tony was Lacage. And I think that was the most re rewarding and satisfying start. I mean, my dream of winning a Tony came true. I did a musical that was poignant, important, funny, and, and tuneful. And a great team between Jerry Herman and uh, you know, Arthur Lawrence, it was, it, was, it was a terrific experience. And I think, you know, people, you know, young people today, uh, don't quite appreciate the uh, impact, I think, that the original Lacage had on Broadway. Um, because it was, you know, it's a gay musical. Who's gonna go see a gay musical? And it was right at the same time that AIDS was being, um, you know, just devastating, uh, devastating the world. Um, and so I think to, you know, risk your, your money and resources and reputation um, at that time to do a musical that was that bold uh, was really groundbreaking. And, you know, uh, you know I, uh, the, our kids know that. And I think that, you know, that's one of the things that we say all the time, because people, that, whether it's, you know, something more recent of the inheritance or the prom or something, you know, and, and I look and I say, you know, off-Broadway, there were more edgy, uh, you know, uh, you know, issue-driven, you know, AIDS, the LGBTQ that we didn't even call LGBTQ back then, um, you know, uh, the shows were kind of like, well, they're not mainstream, they're not on Broadway, they're over there in those other theaters where they belong, you know, sort of mm. to put them on the stage on Broadway was really uh, very, very bold. And so I, you know, I'm, you know, and, and for that show, there was only, I think, six producers at that time. <laughs> on oh. Yeah, you know, so it was a big, a big important step. And I think that, you know, um, you know, I'm so proud of Stu for, you know, setting the path for these other shows and making room for them. And, uh, you know, and I think that that's a position that we're in now with this, you know, COVID that's locked us all down and making us reflect and, you know, reset uh, who gets to be on Broadway, you know, who shows get to be seen. Um, I think, you know, it's gonna give us another opportunity like that of like, okay, like all the theaters are dark, all the shows and all the stages are, you know, I mean, not that they're all going to be empty because we're hoping that all the shows, the 30 shows that were there come back up. Um, but we still don't know if they are, you know, so are we going to, with those, there's 41 Broadway theaters, with those theaters, are we going to really see the uh, diversity and inclusion that uh, should have been there all along because steps were being taken. And Stu was one of the first ones to make sure that those steps were taken back with Lacage back in the 80s. So, um. well, I think that just shows too kind of what we were discussing earlier with Broadway 
uh, HD, both of your abilities to evolve with the times. And to and I think that's really important in the theater industry because, you know, they say the stage is a reflection of real life. And I, th I think it's so crucial. And Bonnie, I'd absolutely agree that now we're at a time where we're really kind of reassessing what Broadway should be looking like. And I know both of you are active members of the Broadway League. And for those of our listeners who are tuning in, we have a lot of people who are from the entertainment industry, but also some people who are not part of this world. And so I'm wondering if both of you could just talk a little bit about your experience working for Broadway League. What, what does that look like and what does Broadway League do? The Broadway League is actually a, it's sort of like a union, but it's not a union. It is a trade association for the presenters, which are basically the theater owners, the presenters, the producers, the general managers, um, and the affiliated uh, service businesses for Broadway um, and for the touring Broadway theaters um, so that they get a voice. And it's it acts collectively to right now they're lobbying um, in Washington to save our stages, basically to you know to have some sort of support from the government because of COVID. Um, the Broadway League also negotiates on you know so that each individual producer doesn't have to negotiate with the unions every time they go into a theater, and that works both ways. So the Broadway League is 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 acting on behalf of the uh, producers, and the unions are representing their union members. Um, there are 13 different unions on Broadway um, and it's there it's called Cobug. It's the coalition of Broadway unions and guilds. Um, and so you know that's part of it uh, is the you know the, the acting on behalf, lobbying for us, negotiating with unions. Um, but the other thing that the Broadway League does is it provides um, uh, different initiatives to make uh, tickets affordable and accessible for people that you might not otherwise <laughs> think could get into a Broadway show. Um, so with um, uh, the Theater Development Fund, they have the TKTS booth that they work with, which is the half price ticket booth um, that's right there in Times Square. And um, they have a lot of initiatives to for diversity and inclusion and audience engagement and education. Um, they have a governance um, you know, board there that decides what the committees are, what we should be focusing on, what the, the needs of the touring theaters are. Um, and, uh, and then the other thing that is a really important thing that the Broadway League uh, does and has done is it promotes Broadway as a brand. And so um, you can see how well that the Broadway League has done that. If you look at, you know, Stu and I, when we travel, if, when we travel someplace, I can go anywhere in the world and I can say to people, oh, I work on Broadway. And they're like, oh my God, that's amazing. Oh, I love it. You know, and they, they, then you say, well, what show, what was the last show you saw? And they say, I never saw a Broadway show. So the power of something that they can kind of look at you and say, it's the pinnacle of live entertainment and they've never been there. It's a <laughs> like holding up a Coca-Cola can, you know, to, I don't know if you have children, but you can hold up like, you know, a, a Coca-Cola can near a kid and they can go Coke, even if they can't read, you know, so it's like recognizing a brand immediately. Yeah. And that's what the Broadway League has done for Broadway as a brand. And that is what has driven tourists from around the globe to come to New York City. Um, so, I mean, a lot of this is, is obviously it's a pre-COVID speech, but, um, up until March, you know, if you asked uh, tourists what was their reason to come to New York, if you asked them 25 years ago, they'd say, oh, I'm gonna go see the Statue of Liberty and I'm gonna go visit the Empire State Building and maybe I'll see a Broadway show. And if you ask them back in January, why are you going to New York City? They'd say, I'm going to see a Broadway show and while I'm there, maybe I'll see the Empire State Building. <laughs> so they made New York City a destination to see Broadway. And that is what the Broadway League does. I really love that a lot. I think that's something that not a lot of people talk about, about the, the brand of Broadway and how powerfully impactful that is. That, well, that's, yeah, I, I love that a lot. It's so important. One guy I've been very active with, and I, I'm not, I've served on the Board of Governors of the Broadway League, and uh, I'm now a lifetime member. <laughs> Bonnie's a member and uh, on several committees. Yeah. So, so uh, we're trying to you know work with them as we go go through this. Uh, another another uh, organization you're 
listeners might be interested in is the Actors Fund of America. Uh, in this time, especially. Yeah. yeah. So this is a it's a it's a it's a social organization in terms of helping uh, people in the industry, not just actors, but everybody involved: camera people, stage ticket takers, box office people, stage managers, uh, anyone who needs financial assistance or health. They have a health care. They've got uh, the uh, Phyllis Newman uh, Women's uh, Health Initiative that they they're involved with. Uh, a really uh, a bolster to the industry as a whole no matter who you are in it. And it's a real lifesaver and they really get things done. I think they've been rated like nine out of 10 stars uh, for 10 years in terms of efficiency, where 85% of whatever money they raise goes back into the into the Actors Fund, so. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. They, they, and social services for people who are in transition or in crisis. So the in transition, especially in show business, is for the, you know, the performers, the dancers that are having a hard time dancing or were injured or any actors that were injured, you know, the in between jobs, they can't pay their rent or they need some sort of health, um, you know, services. And the Actors Fund has always been there for that. But in, in these times where people are just falling between the cracks, um, the Actors Fund is, is just an amazing organization. Yeah. Um, so I want to get that in there. <laughs> oh yeah oh absolutely I'm, 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 I'm glad that you brought that up because yeah the actors fund they really do so much and what i really love about the theater community in new york is that that people come together to help one another and especially with you you two you you've created scholarship funds as you were saying you serve on a variety of committees you're really doing a, a powerful service to people by by giving back and and giving back in ways, uh, whether it's monetarily, whether it's through advice, whether it's through sharing your story and your experience, whether it's through the shows that you produce. And I, I think, you know, I don't have to tell you that it's, it's so important that we continue to talk about how important and crucial the arts are to our society. And so with that said, I'm wondering, it, even though in a lot of ways this industry is subjective on, in, in a lot of ways, depending on, you know, if, if a show resonates with you differently from someone else, as you were mentioning, Bonnie, if maybe a director prefers one actor or, over the other or prefers working with a different writer. So in, in that ways, yes, maybe it's a little subjective, but I'm sure in your career you've seen trends as well. So I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners, perhaps what can people in this industry do to find success, whether they are a producer, a director, actor, writer, or, or in any other medium? I think, you know, the life of an artist is always about training, is always about working. Um, and uh, it's always, you know, artists are people that you eat with the, you know, the 600 bucks that you're getting from the government kind of thing, that extra is providing people with the opportunity to, you know, either not take the other job or, or have some sort of comfort level. Um, but, but to maintain your creativity and keep working. Um, so maybe you're not working on the stage. I mean, I think that's why we, this, you know, live streams are ubiquitous right now. Um, whether they're, you know, streaming somebody playing a guitar from their bedroom or their backyard, whatever it is, you know, it, the, creative people just need to keep creating. You know, they're doing it. We're hoping that they're making a living. We're hoping that they're making some sort of money or the government, as I said, is in some way supportive of that. But it's it's about, and, and it's not just for artists, but people have to have a purposeful life. You know, I think if you, as long as the, the basic needs of your, you know, uh, a roof over your head and food, you know, the, we all need that. And if you have that, you look to have your life have a purpose and I think that you know that's why Stu and I you know it's like oh oh you guys are giving and isn't that great but you know what the, the, the giving that we're doing we're getting so much from it because it fills you know it fills something that we need we are you know trying to trying to keep a you know a, a theater going society um that's they can't go to the theater you know right. um satisfied and fulfilled and keep artists you know a, a platform for them to you know watch um the broadway hd has just been um recognized recently as one of the best professional development tools that you can have because being in the creative arts, if you want to be in theater, or even if you're in theater already, the best way to learn about theater is to 
go to as many shows as possible. And so if you're working in the industry and you have to be at the theater every night, you can't go to see the other shows. So a streaming on demand platform, Broadway HD, you can watch these shows when you're not at work. Um, and for students that can't get there or people that aren't in New York City, you have all these shows that you can either, you know, learn about a, a director or composer on there. Um, so it's a creative outlet, you know, for so many people. And I think that, you know, that's it. It's just like living a, a life of, of purpose and having, a, you know, having a being a, you know I mean, it just it's when we mentor students or anything it's just like I, I feel like I'm learning things from other people um, and I think that's it it's just a constant training if you're a writer just keep writing you know maybe nobody's uh, commissioning you at the moment if you're a composer you just have to find the time you know even if you have to do two jobs which some people are doing right now find that whether it's five minutes a day or ten minutes a week to just say, I'm an artist, I'm a creative person, and I need to keep doing this. Or if you're a, a, a producer, is to just keep reading the scripts or watching shows on Broadway HD to say, this is the type of show I want, or I want to produce that playwright's next show. You know, uh, I mentioned the trough back in the early 70s when uh, Broadway was a disaster. So you know, it took 50 years to get us where we are today, where Broadway was so popular and so diverse uh, and leaps and bounds both in, in, in the diversity in, in content and in the people who are participate in the industry. That's a 50-year period. We're not going to be able to jump in, I think, right away and maintain that when we come back maybe next spring. But we can build it up again and uh, even bigger and better than it was before. Uh, I think is that from an artistic point of view, yes, you always want challenges. You don't want to take, don't take the easy way. Take the way that will help you grow and show another side of your talents. And I think that's always been, I, I've directed uh, shows uh, as well. And I did, instead of doing like say the one person show, which might be easier, I'd rather go for the, the musical, which is much more complex, but I could learn so much more by doing that uh, kind of thing. So uh, I think that's a, a major, a major issue in, in the artistic sense. Yeah. It just, you know, keep going. Yeah. You keep moving forward. You know, a talented person, an actor you know, often has many talents. I mean, there's, so they are painting, they can become painters or sculptors or poets or writers. And it's not unusual to see, you know, an Anthony Quinn being a great actor and a great painter and a writer and, uh, you know, and, and different people doing multiple things because you, you've got the talent. Right, right. Uh, this has been such a great conversation. Bonnie and Stuart, I, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to be on the show. Not, and not only for being on the show, but also the work that you're doing as producers. It's so critical to have producers like yourselves who really care about the artistic vision of a, a piece of work, uh, really to care about theater, uh, you know, bringing theater and making theater stay alive through your platform, Broadway HD. And then on the other side of that coin, working out the financials and the business side of things to make it a, a realistic uh, vision and, and goal for the future. So thank you so much for all that you do. And but before signing off, I'm just wondering if you could share with our listeners, where can they find out more about both of you? Where can they find out about Broadway HD and subscribe as well? Oh, great. Well, that's easy. It's yeah. just broadwayhd.com. <laughs> oh, perfect. So that's all you have to do is just go there. If you, you know, we still have a one week free trial, so you can sign up for a week and watch as many shows as you want, see if you like it. We're always adding new content. Um, or you can sign up for the newsletter and we send out what the new content that's coming. Um, so you can get a sense of like, okay, you know, or just check out all of our, you know, social media with what, uh, what's coming up. So. Oh, and we have a lot of content in the pipeline too, which will take us well into 2021. So we have a lot of new shows that people haven't seen before. Oh, perfect. Great. Well, I'll make sure to include the links to your, you know, various resources in the show notes. So our listeners out there who are listening, just feel free to scroll down, click those links provided, which I highly recommend doing. Uh, I have just one last question for you both, if you're down for it. Sure. Yeah, we're here. Uh, so how can we as a society better relate to one another? Um, I feel that you have to listen to people that you don't agree with. I really feel that way. We have five children. <laughs> they don't, we don't all agree. My husband and I don't agree, 
But if you listen to somebody that has a different opinion, sometimes you can understand why they have that opinion. And I think that's huge. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to convince them that their opinion or their way they're seeing it is wrong. But I think that it opens us all up if we understand where they're coming from. Because sometimes that is jaw-dropping and eye-popping when somebody tells you, I believe in this because. I think that's huge, is to listen to other people. Listen, just listen, not argue, not debate, just listen to them. That I think is huge. And then step back. And that's really hard, especially <laughs> when you vehemently disagree. It's so hard. But you know, if you just, as I said, just listen and walk away and have it you know, sink into your brain. Um, I think it uh, deals with leadership. Uh, I think that we've been a uh, rudderless ship for the last three and a half years, and that it's important that we have someone that can uh, take the uh, take responsibility, uh, talk intelligently, and be knowledgeable. And I think that uh, we've been lacking that, and that, that going forward, things will be uh, things will be better. Great. Well, thank you. Like I said before, thank you so much for taking the time. Well, thank you and for having us, and thank you for all you do to support the arts. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Relate. You can let me know your thoughts on this episode by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving me a review. Or if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. You can support this podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all in the next episode.